Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we always bring you the deeper discussion about the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with the stupendous Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how's it going? Happy holidays, Celeste. I have missed you. I well, I won't say I sped. I drove rather quickly back from Youngstown, Ohio this morning to make sure I got home in time to be able to spend this time with you today. Well, I am glad you are here safe and sound and happy almost New Year. So if you're listening to us right now, you made it. We have gotten through another year and we are about to leap into a brand new year. I, for one, am excited for that. And Jeff, so we're going to take the proverbial walk down memory lane with today's show. But before we do, any thoughts about this year that we just slogged through news wise or personal wise? Any thoughts? You know what goes through my mind, Celeste? The Billy Joel song. And I'm sure you know this one, too. We didn't start the fire because I'm just thinking of so much that happened this year. We've touched on a lot of these topics, but, you you know, you start to think about some things and you're like, wait, that was this year, the train derailment in Ohio. I mean, there's so much that took place this year. It's, it's hard to pick and choose. This has been a really challenging year for so many people. And of course, not just here in the United States, because we've got the second year of the Ukrainian war, the war in the Middle East, so much more going. And of course, Celeste, the topic you and I love to discuss, Trump's multiple indictments. Exactly. What is going to happen with that next? Obviously, as we all know, there are now different states trying to keep him off the ballot. He's trying to stay on the ballot. Meanwhile, he's dealing with important matters such as widespread speculation about why his wife isn't in the Christmas photos. And oh, you know, yes, certainly yes. That's, that's a big one. But certainly we have a lot of action on the other side with uh, President Biden, uh, impeachment inquiries, questions continuing about his family and uh, his desire to be president for another term, what's going on there. So lots and lots to discuss. But if you are just joining us, we are happy to have you here this almost new year, our last program of 2023. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. So today, We're going to take a look back at some of the best of what we did right here on Driving Forces in 2023. And we were very fortunate to be able to bring you some really great guests on a big range of politics and public policy topics on the show this year and to take the time to talk about them in some depth. But today, we're going to jump around a little bit, and we're going to look back at some of the issues that really affected the lives of all New Yorkers of all ages, races, and political leanings. You know, and one area that impacts many of us is our city's education system. First up, we were glad to have some enlightening conversations throughout the year with New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks. He joined us in September to answer our questions about the launch of the new academic year against the backdrop of lots of pressures, including an influx of new migrants into the system. Here is just a bit of what he had to say. Chancellor, new school year underway, only a few days into the new school year. Share with us some of the key challenges and priorities that the school system is facing as students return more fully to in-person learning. Well, certainly the challenges are really around the resources that uh, we have to deal with as as relates to the budget, potential budget cuts that are coming. Uh, We've got the issues around the, the migrant students and It's not the students themselves that pose a real challenge for us. It's really just the resources that we need from the federal government, as you can hear that playing out in the news on a daily basis with the mayor, 
we need we need help from the federal government. The stimulus funding that we got during the pandemic has essentially run out, and um, and 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 we need the support um, for the city to help the migrants. We've done a great job. I'm very proud of what we've done in New York City Public Schools to support these kids. Um, we welcome them with open arms. In fact, that's what we call it, Project Open Arms. Uh, and any child that shows up on our doorsteps, we're going to do everything we can to be very supportive. That being said, here are the priorities that we have, Jeff, and I call it bright starts and bold futures. We're going to teach our kids to read. 51% of the kids in New York City public schools do not read on grade level. 64% of black kids and 63% of Latino kids in New York City public schools don't read on grade level. But this has not been just a city issue. It's a national issue. 80% of the kids in Chicago don't read on grade level. 91% of the kids in the city of Detroit do not read on grade level. And, and that's not because it's certainly not the kids' fault. And in many ways, it's not even the teacher's fault. We have been using a flawed playbook for years with respect to how do we, how we teach kids to read. And for a long time, you've heard about something called balanced literacy. It's a very progressive approach to the teaching of reading. I think it was well-intentioned, but it absolutely missed the mark. So we're going back to a more old-school approach based on what we call the science of reading, which for a lot of people simply means it has as its basis phonics. You know, for years and we have me- not really even been teaching phonics, how to decode words um, in our school system. A lot of people are shocked when they hear that. Um, it's like building a house and starting on the second floor. That is and my I- number one priority, Jeff. We're going to teach the kids how to read. And then we're going to create career pathways so the kids can have both futures. And that engages the business community and so many others to make sure we're really preparing kids for the jobs of these emerging industries that are happening each and every day. And Chancellor, I want to just jump back in time for one second, because I really do think with the migrant crisis, the asylum seeker crisis on so many people's minds, I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit more about the impact that the children of migrants uh, entering the school system is having and what the experience has been like or what you would uh, hope for it to be like in public schools right now. Listen, I'm very mindful of the fact that New York City is a city of immigrants. Uh, that that is the history of this city, and it bothers me a little bit to see folks who kind of are raising up in a way that uh, it, it kind of turns their back on on that history, that legacy of of what in fact has made New York the, the great city that it is. Um, the, these are people who have been fleeing other countries and and seeking a better life. And think think about what must be happening where you live, where you are willing to put your life on the line and cross rivers and go through jungles with your babies in tow to come to a place that you think would hold some sense of promise for you. I'm very sensitive to that. Um, and I recognize that it is a huge political issue, and the, and the issue is really more about the resources that are needed to support these folks and giving them the ability to work. They didn't come here for a handout. And uh, but what but when they show up, no matter what the situation with their children, it is my responsibility to take care of the babies. And that's what we're doing all over the city. So since the influx of the migrants, we've had over 20,000. We don't have those numbers are not definitive because they include uh, the students who are already living in temporary housing in our in our city who, who may not have, in fact, been migrants. But but the but 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 the overwhelming majority of these uh Students, in fact, are migrant students, and we are um, we're welcoming them. And I will tell you this: I could take you to visit any school in the city, 
and you would not know the difference between the migrant kids and the kids who have been here for years. They all look like the same kid. Because at the, the heart of it, they all are the same kids. You know, some of the kids, uh, the deep kids that are coming here are smart, they're brilliant, they're hardworking, they're showing up every day. They, they, they want a better life. And they, there are some challenges with respect to language. But uh, we've been making uh, a number of adjustments to do that. We've got over 3,400 English as a new language teachers. We've got over 17, 1,800 bilingual teachers. And we have hundreds more teachers who actually have licenses that can step into the breach and help us close the gap even more. But many of them had secondary licenses. So what I mean by that is we have a teacher who might teach social studies, but they also have bilingual education as their secondary license. And the reason they've never activated that license to use it, even in a moment of need, is because the old rule said if you do that, you lose your tenure. You have to start all over again. Well, then there's nobody that's going to give up their tenure to start all over again as though they're a first-year teacher. So the State Education Department recently issued new guidelines that allow those uh, teachers to shift into that secondary license and not lose their tenure. That's going to open up hundreds more teachers who can step in and help help us in this time of need for these kids. I feel really good about where we are. And that was our talk with New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, and we must thank my stellar Driving Forces co-host, Jeff Simmons, for making it possible for us to bring an important guest like Chancellor Banks here to these airwaves. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York. And this hour, we're taking a look back at some of our favorite, most important programs of 2023. And before we go back in time again, just a very brief reminder as we close out 2023 that this station, WBAI, only exists because of you, because of your generosity. This is listener-supported, people-powered, non-commercial radio. So if you enjoy what you hear on this program or any program here on WBAI, please help keep this station alive. Go to WBAI.org today, right now, and become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces. It absolutely only takes a minute to become a sustaining supporter of this station and this show, Driving Forces. Just go to WBAI.org and click the big green button. Become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces by making a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose. That is WBAI.org and thanks. So back to our retrospective, hands down. The migrant crisis was far and away one of the biggest stories of the year, if not the biggest. The city was absolutely flooded by people who came to New York to seek sanctuary, putting a huge strain on New York's shelters, its budget, and in many cases, emotions, both pro and con. So in August, we spoke to Gwyn Hogan, a reporter for the nonprofit digital newsroom, The City, about her reporting on the crisis. Here's a taste of what she told us. So I just want to start off very, very broadly. What is it like doing all this reporting and great work, by the way, on how the city is handling or trying to handle this migrant crisis? Are you getting cooperation from government, from the Adams administration in your reporting? Um, that's a that's a good question. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's like a lot happening at once. Um, there is sort of official lines of communication. Uh, they've started to do weekly briefings uh, in the past month that gives us sort of an update on the numbers. Um, but there are, we're sort of missing a lot of specifics from the official response. And so in the absence of that, 
we have been getting updates from, you know, all different kinds of sources, whether it's, you know, a parent group around a school gymnasium that learns that migrants are supposed to perhaps move into their gym um, or officials within the administration who are frustrated with how the communication is playing out. So we sort of hear one thing from the administration and then kind of lots of on-the-ground information from, from other sources. It's been kind of piecing that together as it, as it always is, is with a crisis. Gwen, it's great to have you on the on the show. And as a personal aside, I do miss DNA info very, very much. I miss <laughs> DNA info. All right. So, <laughs> Katie Honan did not put me up to that. Anyway, you have interviewed many migrants who are here seeking asylum. What are they telling you about their experiences and how they've been treated in the city? It's all you know. It runs the gamut, right? And this is not something that happened yesterday and the people that are arriving in the past month have differing experiences from those who arrived a little bit earlier in the latest wave of migration over the past year. Um, You know, some of the, there are migrant families who I've been talking to who have been staying in hotels like the Stewart or the Row for a number of months. Um, Things there are not perfect, you know, they're, they can't cook, right, or have any guests over, which is similar for all kinds of city shelters, obviously, not just migrants. Um, But, you know, there is some level of stability and their kids are going to schools in Midtown, which are some of the best schools in the city. Um, So there's sort of, you know, I think it's not a perfect situation, but in by a lot of accounts, things are okay um, or going as well as they could hope for in some situations. And like, And then there's new arrivals who, you know, we sort of have this backlog now and the city is sort of scrambling to find places to put people. And this tends to fall on single adults or coupled adults. Um, The city's been really trying to make sure that families can stay in their own private space. It's, you know, it's sort of longstanding protocol and state regulations that, that guarantee that because children are so vulnerable in congregate spaces. Although there has been reporting, uh, my colleagues at the Daily News reported how that was not in, in compliance at the police academy. There had been children staying there. Um, but a lot of the single adults arriving now are in, you know, gymnasiums or church basements or, you know, some are being sent to a, a hangar or not a warehouse at JFK. And that is really difficult, right? Your, your cot is touching a stranger's cot. Um, you are given like a little, packaged in airplane blanket and that's you know there there are meals on site but most some of these facilities don't have showers so you are walking seven or eight blocks away to the nearest rec center or or public pool that they have opened up for you to shower and that's you know difficult um and I think across the board folks that I talk to are very grateful for the accommodation because as you know, you've probably read at this point, you know, the journey to get here is really horrible. And there's all different kinds of places that you sleep, including like in the jungle and on the ground. And perhaps you were captured by cartels along the way, or you had to sleep on the streets of El Paso or in like a gigantic gymnasium in Denver. Um, so they've ha- they've been through so much at this point that people are very grateful for whatever accommodations they're offered. But but certainly it is less than ideal. 
You know, and that was Gwen Hogan of the city. And I just want to briefly mention that, you know, we're talking about her work covering the migrant surge here in New York City. Well, she just won an award. The Newswomen's Club of New York just presented her with a front page award for Journalist of the Year based on this coverage. Uh, you are listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my amazing, wonderful, stellar co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, and also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're running through some of the biggest topics in politics and policy during the year that now, well, is almost over, 2023. And again, that was Gwyn Hogan, who covered the migrant crisis, which, of course, continues. I mean, I'm sure, Celeste, you know, you follow this as well over the last few days. The mayor here, Eric Adams, meeting with other mayors to d- discuss how they're going to handle this. Yeah, exactly. And the whole issue with uh, migrants coming in or being sent here from Texas and and what the city can and cannot do to address that. And of course, I mean, it, it seems like ancient history now, but the whole idea of uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, candidate for president for who long, well, how well, long, for who, now, knows? For now. who knows, for now. who knows, who knows, um, <laughs> you know, putting people on charter flights uh, up to the Northeast, trying to make a point about uh, sanctuary city policies and so on. That Does that seem like a long time? ago, because it really wasn't, if you think about it. But I think, Jeff, you know, it kind of speaks to the fact that this has just been a, a really news-packed, really complicated year from, from so many different perspectives. So we're trying to get to as much of it as we can to give people kind of a an overview of all the things that we've talked about here on the show. And there have been a lot of those things. So that's probably a good point to remind you, it only takes a minute. It only takes a minute to support the kind of free speech, independent radio we bring you here on Driving Forces every week. This is your station. And we're counting on you. So go to WBAI.org today. Stand up for free speech radio. That's WBAI.org. So 2023 marked our fifth year on the air together, if you can believe that. And Jeff, I just want to take a minute to also say thank you for bringing me on board here. It's been a pretty wild ride. We've made it through elections, COVID, migrant crisis, war, and just generally more news than any of us probably wants to remember. You know, and you and I also made, and by the way, Reggie, who's working the uh, boards tonight, uh, he was not on that day, but you and I also made it through when the phone lines were down. And why do I bring that up? Because WBAI has to pay those bills. To be able to have listeners call in, we have to have the phone lines running. So that's why we also want to keep reminding you, if you get a chance before the end of the year, remember, it can be tax deductible. Make a donation to WBAI 99.5 FM New York. Go to WBAI.org. Or you can call. You get to talk to someone, 212-209-2950. And I agree, Celeste, a lot. Can you believe that it was earlier this year? It feels like it was a decade ago now. The Chinese spy balloon was flying over. Oh, my God. I mean, just if you think about all the insane <laughs> things that have happened this year, I mean, uh, the, the U.S. soldier running across the border into North Korea, uh, just uh, just so many things. And certainly we haven't even mentioned, of course, there's that little war in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. you know, war between Ukraine and Russia, certainly that being a huge issue on so many levels as a humanitarian crisis, as a geopolitical crisis, uh, as an issue of how much aid the United 
United States should give to its allies, uh, the future membership of NATO, all these things combined, and certainly just an incredible amount of stuff to talk about. So, of course, of course, there really is also no way to talk about the news of 2023 without mentioning the Israel-Hamas conflict. And you've heard lots of coverage here on WBAI of the war and people's reactions to it in New York and around the world. So here on Driving Forces, we caught up with an Israeli artist couple, Nitzan Mintz and Dede Band-Aid, who created the now famous posters of Israeli hostages that became a flashpoint in New York and in cities and towns around the world. Some people put them up, some people tore them down. So this couple joined us on the show to talk about their poster project and the reaction to it as part of a program we did here on anti-Semitism. Let's take a listen to the end of that talk from November. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about what we're seeing, not only in Israel or in Gaza, but in the United States. There have been extensive, extensive reports of um a lot of Jews, including uh, kids on college campuses, being harassed, being uh, abused or attacked. I mean, when you see this, considering what's going on at home, you know, what can you say to Jewish people who are maybe experiencing this, are seeing um, graffiti and threats uh, spray painted on their homes or are getting threatening messages on social media or getting attacked in person? Mm, wow. So I think, I mean, bottom line, we, we want to tell them maybe uh, not to give up. I mean, we tell that we tell it also to ourselves because it's so frustrating. Uh, it's very scary and horrible to see that anti-Semitism is raising their head in like full power and sometimes without uh, learning or exploring enough about uh, what's going on actually in Israel and in this war. Um, like Nitzan said before, we we want peace. We don't want anything of that to happen. And uh, and over here, when people are supposed to be like more open, liberal, and well-educated, especially students, universities, etc., we, we just tell people, <laughs> Keep your hope. Um, I really hope that uh, one day things will change, although it doesn't currently seem like it's going to be like that. It's really, really scary um, and frustrating to, to look on a future that will evolve from that. But uh, we keep our hopes up. And, and also I urge Jewish communities not to stay quiet and demand demand to be protected by authorities to put a lot, a lot of pressure. You you cannot sit quietly um, while your neighbors are being murdered. Um, you just, you need to fight this legally. You, you need to fight this. You need to correct it. It's your country. It's your obligation to make your life safer. And one last thing, which is, if you have a chance right now to say something directly to somebody who might be thinking about ripping down one of these posters of a hostage, what would you say to them? Please don't, please. We, we beg you. We, we, we only represent the families. We are not our government. And if you want to do something and you care about Palestinians, please put your own posters. Please donate to Gaza. Please do something else other than ripping our posters. This will not help your cause in any way. It will only create 
more hate. You know, the families of the kidnapped people are looking at you right now. Do you think it will help us with our struggles? Do you think it will help Palestinians? It will not. It will just create tears. If if uh, any of them would be and would consider to stop for a minute before they tear it apart, I think they should think about uh, two things. I mean, first, it's not only Israelis on the photos. There are different nationalities. It can be one someone that you know, actually. And the second thing, what if it would be someone in your family? And, I mean, what do you feel if someone will come and tear it apart? And it won't help any argument, any war, anyone in any side. It won't. It just doesn't help. And we're back here on uh, WBAI with Driving Forces. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And uh, this is our weekly news show. You know, Celeste, you know, as I'm listening to that, I'm also just thinking of the tens of thousands of people who who we have lost amid this conflict. But also, I know that you and I know a number of people, have known a number of people in the last few years also who we have lost as well and i just want to bring up one because i i actually missed this and just found out and i don't know if you had known him a friend of mine bobby rivers actor tv host uh one of the first people i met when i came to new york it just passed away earlier this week he was a groundbreaker and I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, maybe uh, some of you who are listening right now have seen him when he uh, hosted on VH1, for instance. Uh, he was the first black film critic on TV back in Milwaukee uh, eons ago. Anyway, that that's crossed my mind as well as a number of other people who I, uh, who I lost this year. And I'm sure, Celeste, you also, you know, in your circle of friends, you've also, you know, had folks who've lost people from amid covid uh you know just or, or other causes it just it goes through my mind at the end of the year when i think of the people who are no longer with us and you know then you mentioned covid jeff and i think that's really important i don't think we have a covid segment that we're sharing today but the truth is covid is still going on and we did have uh if you think back to uh 2020 when the covid pandemic was really just getting started and we really didn't know what was going on we did a series here called new york in crisis when the city was really the epicenter of just this horrible horrible string of deaths and sickness. And we talked to people about how they were surviving through this. We talked to uh, my former editor at the Daily News, John Oswald, a man who's a double amputee who was uh, basically trapped in his apartment. And the only time he was be able to get out would be for dialysis treatment. Uh, we spoke to uh, a woman who worked at uh, an abortion clinic providing uh, abortion services in the midst of the pandemic, obviously abortion has become, uh, remained and has even become more of a huge national issue uh, right now as, as we're thinking about what's current in the news. And again, just talking a few moments ago now, hearing from uh, Nitsan Mintz and uh, Dede Bande, this Israeli couple who created the Kidnapped from Israel poster campaign, you know, what's really great about WBAI is that this is free speech radio. So sometimes you will hear voices that you agree with. Sometimes you won't. But for more than 60 years, WBAI has been the voice of the real New York, all of New York. And that includes you, everyone who's listening to this program and who has been kind enough to join us for all of our programs over the last five years. But the truth is this station is in financial 
trouble. It's not a happy note to end this year on, but we have to say it. We are not ending the year with a positive balance here at WBAI. And only you can help us turn that around. Only you can help us bring free speech radio to New Yorkers and keep it alive in this city. So please take a moment today, go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces. And you're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM New York and streaming live as always at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons here with my amazing co-host, Les Katz-Marston. This is our 2023 Driving Forces Retrospective. And one of our favorite guests here on Driving Forces, he joined us in the early part of the year and then he was on recently with us again from the online news outlet, The City, is Ruvain Blau. He's an incredibly talented reporter. He's dedicated years of work to documenting the incredible incredibly troubling situation, Rikers Island, and he's the co-author with New York Daily News reporter Graham Raymond of the acclaimed book Rikers and Oral History. And folks, by the way, if you go to the WBAI website and you and you go to the section where you can check on premiums, the gifts you can get for donations, I think there might be another copy or two of Rikers and Oral History there. So check that out because for donating only a small amount of money, you will be able to get one of his books. So just a few weeks ago, Ruvain was back on the air with us to discuss the latest on Rikers, the movement to end solitary confinement in New York City and nationwide and much more. Here is a brief listen back to what he had to say. So, Ravane, in the previous segment with Emily, I had mentioned that next week on December 20th is the final city council hearing of the year. There's going to be a number of bills, several which touch on criminal justice issues like a fair chance for housing that would ban discrimination on the basis of arrest or conviction records in the city. But another piece of legislation that's expected to come up, and I'm hearing from sources that the mayor might not support this, but it might be veto proof if he vetoes this uh, by the council, is uh, the uh, one to end solitary confinement. Talk a little about what this measure would do and how what you are hearing is going on behind the scenes to get this to pass. Yeah, I'm hearing that it's really heating up. I'm hearing that that Speaker Adrian Adams has been working with City Hall to get this done. I, you know, it's, it, I'm hearing that it's kind of taken a bit of a priority. Um, you know, it is kind of incredible as a reporter, kind of following the history of this. I, I just take just a few steps back if I can to kind of get to you know the latest which is Lillian Polanco passed away. She was a transgender woman. She passed away in solitary confinement in Rikers. It kind of, it was at, during the de Blasio administration and it kind of galvanized literally a, like a national movement to end solitary confinement. She should, you know, reports afterwards came out and, and highlighted that she should never have been in solitary. She had a seizure condition. So people with medical conditions should not have been in solitary. She was there on, you know, some kind of relatively low level sex offense crime that she was accused of. Um, you know, it, it really just kind of galvanized a moment of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Uh, de Blasio, to his credit, did, when he first came in, uh, limited, strictly did limit the use of solitary confinement, to, you know, without people with mental illness, um, people, uh, you know, he limited the days, he limited, like, the number of the young people cannot be put there either. So the number went from literally, like, over a 1,000 to just, you know, kind of under 100 at, at, at any given moment. That being said, and it's, con- it's complicated, it's, con- oh, sorry, it's complicated because literally, like, they call it, they don't call solitary, solitary confinement they actually argue that it doesn't exist, right? Molina, the, the former commissioner, has repeatedly said, we don't do solitary confinement anymore at all. And they call it punitive segregation. It's essentially like kind of locked in for eight hours. Um, you know, it is, it is some level of like, you know, it's not necessarily always 23 hours without any, you know, with one hour break, but it is, it is you're locked in for quite some time. 
Um, and the controversy has been, you know, the prior speaker, Corey Johnson, was outright, he was sp- really outright supporting this legislation, was, you know, constantly kind of talking about it, tweeting about it, and, and then ultimately never brought it up for a vote. And it was kind of a shocking moment at the end of the legislative session, his last kind of stated hearing. There was a moment of the advocates were kind of, I think, taken aback because they always just kind of assumed or had felt that he was going to bring this through. So the whole thing reset, at, you know, under the new administration, this new city council as well. But it's and the lead sponsor is Jamani Williams, who's actually not in the council. He's able to introduce legislation, but he cannot vote on it. He's, he, he actually was involved. He was a co-sponsor when he was in the city council himself. Um, but it's been two years in counting now. And it's actually been four years if you count, you know, the prior administration. And there's just been a lot of opposition from the correction union, which is, has a, a very strong kind of politically connected, um, you know, amongst with Mayor Adams. And there actually surprisingly was opposition also from 1199 and the other two unions that represent healthcare workers in the jails. They're worried that the new rules, which require healthcare workers to kind of check in repeatedly on people who are like kind of temporarily isolated in these solitary cells. And they felt like they don't have enough staffing and that they would be kind of getting the blame if something doesn't go well. So it's, it's messy, Like nobody, nobody thinks this is like a kind of a straight shot and it's complicated. The one thing that's really kind of incredible here is it's, it's really, and it hasn't really gotten as much attention, is on a national level, other cities and states, I, I was actually at a conference last year in Austin, and somebody who's kind of leading the national push for this had told me, we are not pushing it in other places because we want New York City to introduce this first. We want to show that it can work. And here we are, right, two years later, and it's not ha- it hasn't happened. It's unclear if it will happen December 20th. There's a lot of, op- there's a lot of optimism that it might finally kind of go on, on December 20th. Um, but there's also at the same time, there's now since there's been a federal proposal to do the same thing at the federal prisons and to kind of incentivize the local municipalities to do the same. So there's almost like they're almost like this council being somewhat shamed by this federal proposal that suddenly kind of gaining steam. Um, there's also state legislation that, that, that was passed several years ago that does sort of limit the use of solitary, but they wanted the city council kind of wants to go further. Uh, so it's complicated. Adrian Adams last talked about it publicly. He told uh, Ben Max on his podcast that it would not happen this year. And, uh, you know, we're coming kind of down to the last few days and, you know, it might actually happen. So uh, I guess to be determined. That was Ruvain Blau of the nonprofit newsroom, The City, and he's the co-author of Rikers and Oral History. That was his appearance here on Driving Forces with me, Celeste Katz-Marston, and my scintillating co-host, Jeff Simmons. <laughs> this is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming at WBAI.org. And that interview that Celeste uh, had set up was done a few days before the December 20th vote. And just an update for our listeners, if you weren't familiar with this, more than two-thirds of the 51-member city council body approved the bill, which basically made it veto-proof. And the mayor, not happy about this because he, and I'm just going to do a very quick quote from him, he basically said that under this measure, the Department of Correction will no longer be able to protect people in custody or the predominantly black and brown union workers charged with their safety from violent individuals. And we have been clear, our administration does not support solitary confinement in our jails, and New York City has not used the practice for years. So it was interesting the way he responded to that, Celeste. For sure. And, you know, what I would say about this is, you know, we have a lot of respect for reporters like Ruvain Blau, lots of the great reporters that we've had on this program. We've had recently, just we've had who Emily No, Gwen Hogan, we mentioned. Um, we've had Jose Martinez on from, uh, from the city as well. And a bunch of people, I, of course, I'm going to forget all their names right now. But, you know, 
between the two of us, you and I, Jeff, we have what, like 40 or 50 years of journalism experience, right? So it's, it's pretty up there. And that actually is one of the reasons why I was so glad you got a show together way back in February on the media. Yeah, I mean, on that show, Celeste, we had two really good guests. The first one being uh, the Knight Foundation Gallup uh, researcher, Jesse Holcomb, followed by Angelo Carasoni, CEO of Media Matters. We spoke with Jesse about some of his incredibly interesting research on how Americans trust or do not trust their news sources, including the differences between national outlets and local ones. Here's a glimpse back at what he told us. And it's so interesting you mentioned that because, you know, I live in a borough here in New York City where we have a number of local newspapers. And one of the things that was really telling from this report was there were stark differences when you look at the numbers, for instance, between the views that people have of mainstream larger outlets, national ones versus local news. Can you talk a little about the level of trust difference when it comes to local news versus national? I sure can. And I'm glad you brought that up. As a survey researcher, when you ask a survey respondent, what do you think about the news media? There's kind of a lot going on in that question. Uh, what exactly is the news media, right? It, it could be CNN. It could be Fox. It could be an NBC primetime program. It could be an NPR broadcast. Or, as you know, it could be a local community newspaper. Uh, so there are a lot of different types of media. And one thing we found consistently in this study, but also many of our studies over the past number of years, is that local news is consistently viewed more favorably by the public than national news organizations are. Uh, For instance, just 23% of Americans, Jeff, say that national media care about the the best interests of the audience. Uh, But local media are rated twice as favorably on that score. That's, uh, well, I guess it's sort of good news and bad news as somebody who's been uh, a local reporter and had to face angry people at uh, town council meetings or school committee meetings. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, giving face, giving a, a real human person to attach to the media writ large. Um, I'm wondering, do you talk at, at all about, uh, in your research, about what role local journalism can play uh, in restoring trust in the media? Well, it it really comes down to playing off of one's strengths. And you can find an interestingly similar pattern when you look at trust in other institutions. Um, The the famous one that's often cited is uh, people don't really trust Congress very much, but they are more likely to say that they think their own member of Congress is is doing a pretty good job. Um, So as you just as you note, Celeste, I really think it. It comes down to developing that relationship between the audience and the publisher. And this is not to say that local news always just does an excellent job all the time. Even in the data, you can see there's a fair bit of skepticism. But uh, there, our past research on this research program has shown that most Americans think of local news organizations as a civic asset. It's something that really helps tie a community together. Um, it, it helps promote transparency and accountability in government, which is something that is kind of like a, a, a transpartisan, cross-partisan aspiration. Um, and, and local news really actually covers a lot of the issues that Americans really care about. 
um, information they need to know, you'll see a through line through lots of the survey research that even though Americans tend to get sort of dragged into some of the uh, political discourse of the day uh, that dominates the headlines, there is also kind of a visceral reaction to that and a weariness to it. We've found that many Americans are starting to feel a little bit of burnout with the news, that it's tiresome, it's taxing, it's depressing. And it's possible that local media can play a role of being an antidote to that in some ways by giving people the information that they need to know uh, to help them live richer and fuller lives in their community. Researcher Jesse Holcomb with some great insights into how Americans view the news. He was here, uh, a guest on our show, Driving Forces, not that long ago. But it has been great to just listen back to a couple of these clips, shows that we've been proud to share with you in 2023. And there were so many other shows I wish I could have included because we have had some really great guests and some really great topics from the MTA to maternal mortality to the pandemic, workers' rights, hot political contests, the list really really, really just goes on. So this is probably a good moment to remind you. I know this may be our last reminder of the year, but if you do care about New York and if it means something to you to have a radio station that talks about how to make this city a better place, a more just place, please take a moment today. Time is running out. Go to WBAI.org and lend your support. We're really asking you to get involved, not to wait for somebody else, for you to get involved. Go to WBAI.org, click the green button, give to this station today in the name of this show, Driving Forces, by becoming a BAI buddy. And, you know, we have been bringing you this program since 2018. So what better way to celebrate the new year than to make a lasting contribution to this station? Remember, we are non-commercial, listener-supported WBAI, and we really do need your help. You know, Celeste, you mentioned uh, some of the topics that we have discussed, and obviously there are going to be topics that keep on go- going on, but there are a number of ones that I had a lot of time to think while driving back from Youngstown <laughs> today about the type of shows we want to do next year. And, you know, we have not in a while done anything on the climate crisis. I mean, there's been a number of deadly weather events. I just think about even the drive back today and how warm the weather was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me think, you know, we really need to address this once again, because it's a type of issue that you and I have discussed. And I know when we open up the phone lines that listeners call in and weigh in on these topics, especially this, but also healthcare. Another issue that I know uh, that our listeners really care about want to weigh in on, Celeste. Absolutely. And since you mention it, we are going to open up the phone lines for just a few minutes that we have left here. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. What do you think of today's retrospective? What did you think of some of the stories that we highlighted? What do you think we should do more shows on next year? Jeff just mentioned, of course, the climate crisis. But what do you, what would you like to hear on your radio station, WBAI, 212 209 2877-212-209-2877. And while we are waiting for your calls, or you could just call in and tell us why you like WBAI, because we are here actually trying to get your help. And we know that a lot of people out there, and we appreciate you all, there are a lot of people out there who really do listen to WBAI regularly, who tune into our program, who call in, but who just have BAI as part of their lives. But that's not going to be the case anymore. If you don't help today, please go to WBAI.org and make a gift today. 
212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. We do this for New York, but we can't do it without New York. And it only takes a minute to support the kind of free speech, independent radio you cannot get anywhere else. And one of the topics that I know that our listeners are going to want to uh, listen in on, uh, about and also call in about in the future will be the lead up to the presidential elections and a potential rematch between Biden and Trump. It is the type of thing that uh, Celeste, during the last presidential election, uh, you had Eric, uh, I never say it right, Sawwell from California on one of our presidential candidates. And we've had Andrew Yang on here as well. Um, so it's the type of thing that Celeste and I are going to look at. But there's also another topic that, you know, that we definitely are going to address sometime in the next month, I hope, uh, on congestion pricing, which finally is getting through. And I know that this is a very polarizing topic, that this is something that listeners are definitely going to want to weigh in on. Absolutely. Speaking of which, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We know that you are out there. We know that you have a lot to say. I don't think that we have had a huge problem in the last five years with finding people who have something to say about the news and opinions and viewpoints that we share with you here on WBAI. 212-209-2877, 212 209-2877 is the number to call. This is your last chance to say Happy New Year to Jeff. Suggest you get in on this. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. And Jeff is always much more eloquent than I am when it comes to explaining why you should consider becoming a BAI buddy. But a BAI buddy, in case we have not said this enough times over the past five years, but hey, maybe there's new people out there who are just learning about this for the first time. A BAI buddy is someone who gives an ongoing contribution, a sustaining donation, can go right on your credit card every month. $15 or more would be great. You just go to WBAI.org and you make a pledge. You become a BAI buddy in the name of this program, this program, Driving Forces. BAI buddies, by the way, are also voting members of this station. You can do more than just listen to WBAI. You can be a part of shaping independent, non-corporate free speech radio in New York. How many other stations really give you an opportunity to do that, to decide not only how the station is going to work, but what the station should prioritize, what the policies should be, how it's all going to come together. If you're going to give us a call, 212-209-2877, but please do go to WBAI.org. You can help shape independent media in this city by becoming a BAI buddy and giving a recurring donation in the name of this show, Driving Forces. You know, it's interesting, Celeste. When I got home, I had a stack of mail, went through it. I didn't, I don't know if I saw a holiday card from you, but that's another topic for another time. But beyond that, uh, I got a lot of pitch letters for donations to nonprofits. And I've, on Giving Tuesday, I give to all the nonprofits I work with. I am also a BAI buddy, which is what Celeste was just talking about, where I give a contribution each month. My husband does the same thing because he believes in WBAI as well and wants to make sure that we stay on the air. And that's why Celeste and I bring this up and why all of your hosts are bringing this up because we need your support to be able to stay on the air. We want to, we were what, around for 60 something years, 65 years, maybe by now mm -hmm. we want to continue for the next 65. Celeste by then will be, I think about 75, but uh, that's <laughs> speak for yourself, <laughs> but no, wait, by the way, Celeste, you know, that we have a few more minutes, a few more minutes. I just want to 
find out from you. I want our listeners to know a little about what you've been up to. Because, you know, you're editing a newspaper. You are doing a fantastic job. You, uh, One of your stories got acknowledged in the New York Times. Uh, you know, I... What people, you know, and you're writing regularly for Neiman as well, you know, uh, and that's why, you know, covering media is very important to you. So I just thought our listeners would like to know a little more about what you're up to as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. And by the way, again, that number one more time, 212-209-2877. So I get to ring out the the old year with some of our uh, friends and listeners and supporters out there, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. So yeah, it's been a busy year for me. I am editing a small local newspaper. We did get a nice shout out in terms of uh, being in a roundup of some sort of like the, the best of local news or being part of the local news resurgence. But then, yeah, I've also been writing uh, continuously for, I guess, about three years now for Neiman Reports. It is a journal of the Neiman, um, uh, the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard. And so I really get to talk to a lot of smart, smart people, uh, you know, sort of writers and scholars and doers, people who are thinking about what media means to us and how we trust media and how it's different from how it used to be and sort of new forms of media and uh, different organizations coming together, lots of mergers, lots of uh, layoffs in this field. And, and you know, this that sort of reminds me is that, you know, that's part of the work that I do a bunch of different things that I do in in journalism. But, you know, for this particular show, Jeff and I are volunteers. We volunteer our time. We don't get paid. We, we don't get paid to put on this program. We have not gotten paid to put on this program in the last five years. We started this show together in 2018. And, you know, that's why, that's sort of the donation that we make in addition to, of course, being, you know, Jeff being a BAI buddy, his husband's been a BAI buddy, all these things. But, you know, we give our time because we think that what happens here at WB AI is important. It doesn't always go smoothly. Not everything is always perfect, but we really think there needs to be an alternative. We really think that there needs to be a voice of the real New York that isn't controlled by commercials, that doesn't sort of go to the highest bidder. And WBAI has been a really unique and important part of New York's independent media landscape for a long time, more than 60 years. Maybe some of the people who are listening to this program right now, some of you out there, you know, in your cars or, or in your home or wherever you may be, um, you know, maybe you grew up with WBAI. Maybe you've listened to it grow and change over the years. Maybe you hear things on this station that you just don't get anywhere else. And that's why we really, really are asking you for your help. If you want to go to WBAI.org today, become a BAI buddy in the name of this program, Driving Forces. They are keeping a list. They are checking it twice. And they're going to find out who has BAI buddies and who doesn't. And that was not the best poem I wrote this year, but every word of it is true. We need your help. Please go to WBAI.org. Click the green button. Become a BAI buddy in the name of this program today. You know, it's such a good thing to do. I know a lot of folks who, um, you know, who make their contributions in the last two or three days of the year for tax purposes. If that's your motivation, we're not going to criticize you because you are finding a way to support free speech radio. So before the clock strikes, strikes midnight on Sunday night, 
Take some time. You're going to be home on Sunday with your hot chocolate. Uh, take some time. Go online, WBAI.org, and make a contribution. You will be able to sustain us because, I mean, you haven't heard this from us in a while, but for those who are new to us, you should know it costs, I'm not kidding, $17,000 a month for us to be able to transmit our signal from a top four times square. Can you believe that? $17,000 a month. Imagine if you had to pay that amount of rent. So that's why every little amount counts. That's why we push the BAI buddies because we know we can count on an extra 20 or 25 or whatever you're going to give every month coming in. So again, go to WBAI.org. Please do your part this calendar year, only a few days left, to support independent free speech radio here in New York. That is our program for today. Thanks for all of the voices that we heard today in this incredible year in news. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. And of course, to you, our listeners and supporters. Jeff, what do we have coming up? Well, I will be back here on the final day of the year, this Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. So get up well, for some of you that are getting up early. I know you want to sleep late so you can stay up and watch the ball drop. But get up early, 8 a.m. City Watch. Carlos Menchaca and I have a great lineup for you because we are going to focus on some of the big issues of this year and also looking at next year. I've lined up a great uh, a roster of guests. First guest is going to be Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. She's got another book on Trump coming out. She's going to talk not just about uh, her uh, her uh, perceptions of Trump and his campaign, but also she's someone who covered Rudy Giuliani well. So we'll ask her about that and his recent issues. Then Katie Honan from The City, last on with Celeste on a show that I could not make a few months ago. Katie Honan is going to be on here to talk about the New York City Council and Mayor Eric Adams. And then following that, Mayor Eric Adams is going to be calling and we're going to talk about, and this is important, about what's going on in Times Square that night because he just had a press conference this week. There's no credible security threats, but we want to get the latest from him and also ask him a little about what's going on with the migrant crisis, congestion pricing, and much more. That's this Sunday, City Watch at 8 a.m. If you missed any part of this show, you can find Driving Forces on Apple, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening and stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. Happy New Year and see you on the radio.